You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning. Uh, Welcome to the Dean's Class. Delighted to have you with us this morning. We are continuing our study on Ephesians and find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, and I would draw your attention there this morning as we hear God's Word. If you have one of the leather-bound Advent Bibles, that is page 966. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Spirit, our spiritual eyes uh, might be open to behold your Son, Jesus, and Lord, that we might receive uh, this good news, that while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. But God, maybe two of the sweetest words in the entirety of the Bible, especially taking into consideration uh, what uh, Paul has said leading up to these verses this morning. Some of the hardest-hitting verses in the entirety of the Bible are found in the early parts of chapter 2, where Paul tells us that we're dead in the trespasses and sins, that we are following the course of this world, that we follow the prince of the power of the air, that is the devil himself, and the spirit that is now at work in the son's disobedience, that we once lived in the passions of our flesh and we carry about the desires of our body and are by nature children or objects of wrath. And that's where we left off uh, from our last class two weeks ago And if we had just left it there, it would be very bad news indeed. Uh, Who will rescue me from this body of death, Paul says in Romans 7. But here again, we have two of the sweetest words in the entirety of the Bible. But God, just when things are at their darkest, but God, it's all hopeless, but God. This is our experience, spiritually speaking, And it's talked about throughout the entire of the Bible, but I think that one of the most vivid illustrations that is given to us is in Matthew chapter 19 uh, in uh, the story of the rich young ruler. You know the story that a man comes to Jesus and asks, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus tells him uh, to keep all the commandments uh, if you would want to enter eternal life. And the young man says, all these I have kept since my youth. But then uh, we hear the disciples greatly astonished, saying, who can be saved if this righteous, upstanding young man, who really has done his best to keep the commandments his entire life, to do all the things that even Jesus would have commanded people to do, and if he doesn't get into the kingdom of heaven, then who can possibly be saved? 
And in verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. When left to ourselves, this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In chapter 19 of Matthew, Jesus is talking about uh, entering into the kingdom of God, and that's also what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 2. How is it that we're reconciled with God, and how can we enter into His presence? How can we be assured of a relationship with Him? And with human beings, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Human beings left to themselves are an impossible, excuse me, are in an impossible situation. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be in a relationship with God through your own efforts because we're blind. Our desires and our intuition lead us away from God, not toward Him, and we're all under judgment. But God... Do you see in verse 4 that but God rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses here in verse 5 he says what made us alive together with Christ because we're dead God takes the initiative in this saving work I hope that you don't have the impression that God is somehow wringing His hands uh, waiting for us to respond to Him. I've often heard it said that God is too much of a gentleman to impose Himself on anyone. Well, that's complete nonsense and certainly stands against what the Apostle is saying here to us this morning, which is that God made us alive, that God Himself takes the initiative. God did something. It's not what God can do. And I hear that sometimes too, that this is what God can do for you if you would only trust Him more. If you would only do that, or if your, uh, if your faith were somehow increased, then maybe God can do this for you. No, that's not what the Bible says. It says, this is what God has done for you, full stop. And frankly, you have nothing to do with it. He spent a great deal in all of chapter 1 talking about the electing work of God the Father, that before the foundations of the earth, He chose you. And so God takes the initiative. It's God's plan of salvation. It's God who with a spoken word raises Lazarus from the tomb and with a spoken word into our hearts raises us from spiritual death into spiritual life. And in this passage, we see what are sometimes called the attributes of God. Uh, I don't really like using that phrase, uh, so you can disregard it if you'd like, Uh, but things uh, about God uh, that make Him God. But it almost sounds too passive, as if we ought to expect something out of God uh, when He is God and we're not. But nonetheless, here we read of God being rich in mercy, of His great love, uh, of uh, of His grace, uh, of His kindness. And those are all things that really Uh, are at the heart of who God is. And this, and I want to look at each of these things, uh, less one, but 
this mercy that God shows us, because not only are we just dead, we're here told that we're children of wrath, that we're antagonistic toward God. And so if there's to be mercy, we see that it's a mercy rooted in love, not obligation. God is not obligated to show us mercy. In fact, if anything, the wages of sin is death, that which we deserve, that's which we, what we've earned, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But He shows us mercy here because of the great love. This is the love that Jesus talks about. In John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love hath no man than this, but that he would lay down his life for his friends. In 1 John 4.10, the apostle says, This is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us in sending His Son Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Or earlier on here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, in Him we have the forgiveness of sins. And I'm sorry, in Him we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God shows us mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ, not because we deserve it, but quite the contrary. That's what makes it so merciful. Just as a prisoner who stood condemned to die and the judge would stay the sentence or, or commute it, that would be an act of mercy. The person still deserves to do the prison time. The person still deserves to die, and yet the judge shows mercy. And much more than just staying or commuting the sentence, the sentence falls not on us, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that some people have a hard time saying, you know, I like the God that Paul talks about in verses 4 through 7, but the God that is talked about in verses 1 through 3, I don't like because I can't countenance a God who on the one hand is wrathful, but on the other hand is rich in mercy. That doesn't work for me. My mind can't hold those two things together. And yet the Bible does. Divine wrath remains a fact which is why mercy, that word, is used here. It's because of God's mercy and, the, and love that those whom He has called to Himself do not suffer His wrath, but Jesus does in our stead. In chapter 1, verse 7, again, He talks about the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, his blood outpoured. And later on, here in chapter 2, in verse 13, we read that, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Mercy can only be offered if there is a transgression. And our transgression is great, greater than you and I could possibly imagine. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 1 where Paul spends quite a bit of time talking about God's wrath and what it looks like uh, in our world. Chapter 1 of Romans, this is page 939, verse 18. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's wrath is being revealed in our own lives around us against all ungodliness and unrighteousness who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's who we are in our natural state. We actually suppress the truth, most especially the truth about God. That's an act of ungodliness and unrighteousness. And God pours out His wrath upon that. How does it manifest itself? If you look down in verses 24 and 26, therefore God gave them up. Verses 20, verse 26, for this reason God gave them up. Gave them up to what? Gave them up to themselves. Uh, one of the most dangerous things that can happen in our lives spiritually is that God might give us what we want. Ed Salmon, the former bishop of South Carolina, used to say to me when I would say, well, I'd like to do this or I'd like to do that, he used to respond, well, Andrew, if that's what you want, you ought to be able to have it. Well, of course, that language made me stop in my tracks. It made me think twice, is, is that really what I want? I'm probably a whole lot more like the guy who rented the big billboard in Las Vegas several years ago and up on it written in huge letters where God saved me from what I want. But God's wrath is demonstrated by giving us up over to ourselves and giving us what we want, which is to suppress the truth and to stand in opposition to God Himself. He says in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. There's a good verse to remember. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all matter of unrighteous, manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, and on and on it goes. And so if you see these things in the world around you, it's a demonstration of God's anger and wrath against what's going on in the world today. It's evidence that God is actually doing something and His judgment will not be stayed. But God, in His mercy, sends the Lord Jesus to take the punishment that we so rightly deserve, so rightly have earned, and He takes it upon Himself. God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. And God demonstrates this by evidence. You know, this spiritual change of being dead in trespasses and sins to being alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's evidence that we can go from being objects of wrath to objects of affection for those who put our trust in Jesus. For those of us, as the hymn puts it, have been plunged beneath the cleansing flood who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. 
Our life has been changed by God. And Paul is saying, this is true of you Ephesians, and he's saying to us this morning, this is true of you as well. You once walked in darkness, but now you walk in light. Now, there's a parallel image that Paul uses in Ephesians. In verse 5 and 6 in chapter 2, he talks about us being dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, which is the parallel to chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, where Paul writes, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Now, in the earlier chapter, he's talking about Jesus being physically raised from the dead. And so he's not talking in chapter 2 about a future event where we're going to be all resurrected from the dead to stand before the judgment seat. He's not talking, although he's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead in that Easter 2,000 years ago in chapter 1, the resurrection that he's talking about and being raised with Christ in chapter 2 is the spiritual raising that we experience when we come to him in faith. It's a now experience. It's the experience that the Bible talks about being born again or saved. And Paul is saying that us coming to salvation in Jesus Christ is as great a miracle as the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. And that now our lives are in Christ. We have union with him. And we can't think of ourselves apart from him that our identity is completely caught up in him. And where we were once dead are now made alive in him. Now, I'm going to skip over verse 6 about being raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, uh, because we're going to talk about that when we come to the nature of the church in chapter 4. But uh, for the time being, uh, know that in this now moment, while Jesus is in heaven, which I think that most of us Uh, understand readily well, it seems a little bit premature for Paul to talk about us being raised up and seated in the heavenly places, but he's talking about the spiritual reality of fellowship with Christ and uh, the fellowship that we have with the communion of the saints. And I'm just going to leave that right there for you to think about uh, so that you have something to chew on as we look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It is at this point that Paul now talks about the coming ages, not the age in which we live in now, but the age that is to come, the end of time. And Paul is saying that God has a purpose in all of this, to display the incomparable riches of his grace. That's the point. And he uses a beautiful word. In fact, uh, Paul is one of the few to actually use it to talk about what God is like in verse 7 when he talks about the kindness that God shows toward us in Christ Jesus. Uh, Do you ever use that word to describe God? 
Do you ever think about how kind He is to us? His kindness to His children? He's a kind God. In fact, Paul talks about it Uh, I want to look at two places. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. So in the heels of talking about God's wrath and anger, in chapter 2, verse 4 of Romans, Paul says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Uh, There's a wooing that God has on our hearts that He's kind to us and draws us to Himself. Or elsewhere, in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, Paul writes, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The goodness and loving kindness of God. It's a beautiful thing. And do we understand that, I realize it's hard to hold together, but the kindness that God demonstrates, even in Jesus dying on the cross, which is also the height of God's wrath being poured out upon His own Son. And yet, it is in His kindness that He calls us to repentance. But as beautiful and as wonderful as it is, I don't want us to fall into the trap of thinking that kindness is the center of the universe. And a lot of pastors talk about God's love and God's kindness, and that's absolutely true and right. But those are ideas, really. Those are things that are are great in and of themselves. But if all we're doing is talking about kindness and God's love, we've fallen short of what God's focus is in the Bible, and that's Jesus. So we read about the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You can't talk about God's love apart from Jesus. You can't talk about God's kindness apart from Jesus. And if you're trying to talk about God's love or God's God's kindness apart from the crucified and risen Lord Jesus, then it's just an idea. It's just a concept. It becomes law and doesn't have the power to save us. So it's right for us to say, God loves you. But that doesn't make any sense unless we're talking about, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. He's the embodiment of God's kindness. And Paul is directing the attention of the Ephesians and us this morning to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ because in Him we have life. 
In him we experience spiritual resurrection. By his stripes we are healed. And so we do talk about God's love. We talk about God's kindness. We talk about the wrath of God. We talk about all of these concepts which are right and true and good. And we need to understand them. But they can only be understood completely and at their depths in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week, uh, we're going to pick up uh, with the idea of being saved uh, by grace uh, through faith here in Ephesians chapter 2. You're always most welcome to email me any comments, questions, or concerns, and uh, know that until we meet again, uh, I'm praying for you, but let's pray even now. Oh God, we pray that the truths that we have heard uh, this morning with our outward ears would be grafted inwardly in our hearts. And Lord, that we would give thanks that while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God. Lord, we thank you for your great intervention on our behalf. We thank you that you're not waiting around for us, uh, but Lord, you take the initiative. And so, Lord, all of the glory is yours uh, so that we may not boast, but rest our lives in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.